The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with hosts Victoria and Adair Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here with her daughter Adair, a lifelong vegan and an actress, a playwright, and a stunt performer to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now let's get this party started. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair. Hey everybody, this is Victoria. And this is Adair. And we are the Main Street Vegan Pair to entertain and educate you for the next hour. After the first break, we'll be bringing on our wonderful guest for the day, Chef AJ, author of the wonderful cookbook, Unprocessed. But for now, it's Adair and me, mother-daughter team, talking with you about all things vegan. How was your week, Adair? Um, It was fine. Can't complain. First week back from Africa. Yes, still getting back into the old routine. Yeah, we went over last night, my husband and I, to Adair's place, and she and her husband showed us their Africa pictures on the big screen, flat screen TV that was so cool. And when you fell out of that raft, I'm just so glad I was seeing it after the fact and that I wasn't the person taking the picture. So I think this is one of the things when people say, but how can you be fit if you're a vegan? I guess the same way those giant hippopotamuses stay fit. Yeah, all, say- all the big scary animals in Africa are the herbivores, like the elephants and the hippos and the rhinos. Like, they're the ones you have to watch out for. The lions, they won't really bother you. Oh, that's so funny. It's almost like now that we have all these vegan bodybuilders and mixed martial arts uh, fighters, it's pretty, pretty cool. We are hitting all the bases. Now, they mentioned in the intro about your being a playwright, which is one of the many things that you are. And I know I saw one of your plays a week ago, and it won something, right? 
Uh, well, it was a finalist in a uh, in a short play competition. I'm actually not sure if it won or not. I'm not sure they've announced the winners yet. But anyway, it was a finalist. Oh, I hope you win. It was really funny. It was a short play about a woman who goes to the retirement center to pick up her father. And there is a man behind the desk without a shirt on saying that this is a clothing optional retirement center. It is really funny, Adair. Thank you. Yeah, you're a funny writer. Very funny writer. Well, I won something, too. Okay. Yes, I won Vegan of the Year. I didn't know there was a Vegan of the Year. Well, you know, I I had heard about it because I saw something on Facebook several months ago that they were asking people for nominations and things like that. I had no idea that I'd been nominated. I had no idea that anybody voted for me because it wasn't even one of those things where I could say to my Facebook people, oh, I'm up for Vegan of the Year, vote for me, because I didn't even know about it until I won, which was very, very cool. So I'm Female Vegan of the Year, and Dr. Michael Gregor, who's going to be our guest uh, on one of our shows in October is the male vegan of the year. And there are all kinds of other uh, wonderful awards as well. Jane Velez Mitchell, who has a a nightly show on HLN, was vegan journalist of the year. Um, The R. Henhouse ladies, uh, Jasmine um, Singer and Marianne Sullivan, who were guests on our show when we first started, uh, won podcast of the year. So it's really, really cool. It's from vegansarecool.com. So if you want to check it out and see who got all the awards and what we're up to, uh, take a little click on vegansarecool.com. I'm just very grateful and happy that that happened. And there was something in the news this week of interest, and that is from our friends at McDonald's. Who would have ever thought it, but McDonald's is opening what may be the world's first vegetarian-only McDonald's. In fact, I'm sure they're the world's first. Yes, they are the world's first. I think they're opening two. Now, do you consider this a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, I consider it a great thing. Because you know what? It's showing me that in a capitalist system, what the people want is what the companies provide. And in India, enough people want vegetarian McDonald's that McDonald's is responding. I guess that's good. It just makes me sad that that greasy, bad-for-you crap is now going to be marketed to all the vegans out there. <laughs> like, well, we, we're usually free of that. <laughs> you know, not necessarily. We have some vegan restaurants here in New York City, like Food They're not swings McDonald's. Yeah, but fun. Food Swings is delicious. This is going to be McDonald's. Well, it is going to be McDonald's, but I think that the more options that vegans and vegetarians have, the better. And just the idea that even in India where there is more of a demand for meat than there has been in the past, there is more of a demand for vegetarian food, enough so that a big corporation whose first responsibility is to its shareholders would be to provide vegetarian food there. I guess that's good. I just hope that the vegetarian McDonald's, if it takes over, people don't go there and then say, oh, I tried vegan food, it was terrible because they had a McDonald's <laughs> burger. Well, does anybody ever go to a McDonald's and say, oh, meat is terrible because I had a McDonald's burger? They might. I don't know. Well, I suppose they might. Well, anyway, I am happy to hear of the opening of any vegetarian restaurant, even in perhaps especially a McDonald's. I just wish that there were more of them in this country. So we have some questions that came in online. You can call us, you know, and and have a chat at 888-558-6489. 
You can do that now and talk with the Dare and me, or you can wait a little bit later and, and ask a question of Chef AJ. But some people that listen to us online or listen to us through uh, iTunes have sent in questions, and you can do that too, to Victoria at MainStreetVegan.net. The first question I'm going to ask of you, Adair, because I think you've run into this. This person says, how do you not give to charities that people believe are good when you know that they support testing on animals? That's hard. I have run into that several times. And it can be tricky because you don't want to imply that you are for the disease or against the charity because that's not it at all. It's just I like to uh, I like to choose charities that have humane practices. I mean, nowadays, um, a lot of medical charities still use animal testing, but it's not really necessary anymore. A lot of those charities have done away with it, too. So, um, I mean, things I've done, I had uh, somebody ask me to donate to a uh, to a, a charity walk that she was doing that was for a cancer charity that did a lot of bad animal testing. And I sent an email and I said, I have made a donation in this amount to another cancer charity in honor of your walk. And I support you and I think it's great what you're doing. And I just felt better giving to a humane charity. And I hope that that wasn't hurtful. Oh, I don't her, think that would I, be hurtful at all. I didn't want to imply in any way that the charity she had chosen was bad. It's just I didn't feel like I could give to that. Sure. And, um, yeah, and I've, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, well, you would feel differently if you had that disease or something. But um, a, uh, a good friend of mine was uh, battling cancer, and she had told everyone she knew that if you want to make a donation in my name, please give to an animal-friendly cancer charity. That means a lot to me. And so I had a lot of respect for that because I thought that was a really great example of, no, even if you do have that disease, you still don't want to hurt animals in order to find a cure. Right. I love that. And if you're wondering about the charities that you support or that you're being asked to support and whether or not they um, do animal testing, you can go to humaneseal.com and it lists all of the charities that do test, all of those who don't test. And I love what you did to just say to the person, I can't donate to this particular one, but I'll donate to another one. That's very sweet. I hoped that was the right thing to do. I don't know. It certainly sounds right to me. I'm feeling like if, if I were in that situation and somebody said, well, maybe I won't donate to your vegetarian charity, but I'll donate to an animal shelter for cats and dogs, mm-hmm. I'd feel happy. I'd be glad that they did that. Good deal. Do you have one of the questions for me? Uh, uh, let me see. Um, someone would like to know how you stay thin when you are over 50. Oh, how do you stay thin over 50? <laughs> well, how would I know? No. <laughs> well, I'm well over 50. And I have a history uh, with overeating and and overweight. In fact, I still identify as a food addict. I'm in remission today. I don't practice that addiction. But I know that if I get out of fit spiritual condition, and I'm not talking perfect spiritual condition. Lord knows I am no saint. But if I completely were to lose contact with, with God, with this higher power that gives me strength and makes my life work, I would not go out and start drinking. I wouldn't go pick up sailors. I would go back to the food because that's who I am. So for me, the first thing I had to do was work on the emotional and spiritual level 
to not have to eat for a fix anymore. And you can just go into your own prayer time and find out what that might be for you. I know some people have found a lot of help in the work of of Janine Roth. Some people get a lot of help from, from yoga, from doing affirmations. Probably the most help for actual food addicts comes from a 12-step program like Overeaters Anonymous. Um, it's overeatersanonymous.org. It's all over everywhere. It doesn't cost anything. There are even meetings on the phone and online. So that's kind of the bottom line. It's the inner stuff. And then for me, being a vegan and largely a whole foods vegan, meaning that I don't eat a lot of the vegan donuts and pies and things like that, you know, every now and then for a treat, but mostly whole foods, the food that grows up out of the ground, I just get to eat. I never would have believed when I was battling overweight and overeating and all that, that I could just eat until I was full and and stay thin. And I know that there are kind of genetic uh, body types and some people's set point is one place and some people's set point is, is another. And I've been absolutely amazed that I lost over 60 pounds and I've kept it off for close to 30 years now without any struggle, without any struggle. Now, I do eat three meals a day. That's another thing. It's not real popular these days because everybody's talking about grazing and eating eight meals a day or whatever. Nobody's talking about grazing. They do. No, they don't. They say you should have three meals and a couple little snacks. Well, I've heard that called grazing. No, grazing is when you eat all day and you never stop like a cow. Well, I suppose. But a lot of people talk about that. They say that keeps your blood sugar steady, and maybe it does. But for me, as as a compulsive eater... I need to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner and stop. You know, when that meal is over, there needs to be a period at the end of the sentence. In fact, one of my friends visited a Catholic Mass. She'd never been to one before, and she was very interested that the way the Mass ends is the priest says, the Mass is ended, go in peace. And she used that as her after-meals prayer. So she would say, the meal is ended, I go in peace. And that's really helpful for me because for somebody that could just keep eating— It's nice to know there's a beginning and there's an end. And in between those three meals, I can go out and live and have a great time. So that's what I do. Three meals, whole food, vegan, and take care of the inside. Hope that helps. Now I have a question for you, Miss Adair. Okay. Let's see. What do you feed your dogs? If you had a cat, would you feed the cat vegan? Um, okay, well, my dogs, uh, they eat a homemade dog food that I make for them. Uh, it is a vegetarian dog food, although their, um, their treats that we get at the store are not totally vegetarian. Uh, I see the dogs, the dogs are barking now. Um, it's, uh, I actually created it for our dog, Aspen, who I grew up with and who passed away a few years ago because she had been starved before we got her and she had a very, very hard time stomaching just about anything. She had a really, really rough time. So through trial and error, we figured out that vegetarian worked best for her, and I came up with a recipe, which I have run by my veterinarian, which is a base of, um, of brown rice, assorted beans, uh, lentils, legumes. Uh, there are vegetables, um, you know, carrots, peas, spinach, pretty much whatever I have around, I'll put in there as a vegetable. I give them a lot of brewer's yeast because that has a lot of vitamins and nutrients. I give them olive oil uh, and some oats. And I cook that up in my crock pot, and they get that and a multivitamin and an omega-3 supplement. 
So uh, certainly talk to your vet if you're going to switch your dog's food. But um, that seems to work really well for them. Ever since Aspen, that's what all of my dogs have been on. And And Aspen lived long. Yeah, Aspen lived to 16, which considering she was in really, really poor health when we got her. Plus, she was a big dog. Yeah, she was a pretty big dog. Big dogs often do not live that long. Yeah, and then when Oliver was a puppy and he was having some tummy troubles, I switched him to her food, and he's been fine ever since. And so that's just what the dogs eat in my house. Uh My crock pot is always going. Yum. And and there's commercial um, vegan dog food as well. There is, and that was how we figured it out for Aspen, which Mm -hmm. the food she did best on was a commercial vegetarian food. But uh, vegan cats. Vegan cats is a tricky one. Yeah, I, 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 if I were to be adopted by another cat, I would try the vegan supplemented with taurine. That's absolutely essential. Taurine is an amino acid that cats have to get from their food. It doesn't naturally occur in plant foods, and the cat can get very, very sick without it, including develop blindness. I have heard and I've seen pictures of healthy, happy vegetarian cats never had a vegetarian cat so i would do it cautiously with a lot of help from the vet isn't there a website it's like vegetariancats.com or something i believe there is i think we have a sidebar in main street vegan about feeding dogs and cats and we've got the website about uh, the the vegan cats so you know it's the kind of thing that you, you just trial and error and and some of the most dedicated vegans that i know feed their cats meat because it just didn't work otherwise for the cats. You know, it's like, I wish this were a perfect world where everything just fit together, but it doesn't necessarily. Well, in a lot of the animal sanctuaries that have a whole lot of different animals, that's what they do with the eggs. I ah, give yes. them to the cats because the cats need some kind of animal protein. But I think it's the taurine. I think that's the reason that you want to make sure to give your dog a, uh, a supplement if you're feeding them vegetarian. Otherwise, it's pretty complete for them. So we do always give our dogs a multivitamin. Okay. Okay. So let's see. I have another question for you. It says, Adair, you said your husband eats cheese and eggs. How do you deal with that? You know, I would like it if he was totally vegan, but I'm not going to be a big pain about it if he's not in that place yet. I um, I mean, he's certainly far, far more vegan than he was when I met him. And, uh, and and I still hope maybe one day he'll give up the cheese and the eggs. But until then, he's just not there yet. I, I love that attitude. And I think that's the attitude that, that we all have to have toward other people. And it's very difficult, I think, especially when you see the suffering of, of the animals. You just want to go up to everybody you know and say, stop supporting this. But we're really only in charge of ourselves. And it is kind of contagious because, I mean, at, at home, you know, you guys, well, I mean, you're completely vegan. And yeah, and, and I'm sure he eats a lot less cheese and eggs than he would if he was not married to me. Yeah, I heard him say last night how you guys ate vegan on the on the plane. <laughs> you had vegan meals. Yeah, it was just easier Africa. to ask for vegan meals for both of us. So somebody here has asked a kind of similar question. Uh, yes, let's see. Somebody says... Let's see. She would like to know about, uh, she says, people have been a little bit hostile about her veganism. Uh, She mentions that she belongs to a unity church and has even found a little hostility among the people there. So she wants to know what you think and what she should do. Oh, bless her heart. Well, the first thing is just 
not, not to be hostile back and, and perhaps change your thinking on that. You're a unity person. You know how to work with your thoughts and, and don't see their, their reticence or, or, or their teasing or whatever it is that you're getting as hostility. See it more as fear of the unknown because for a lot of people, this is just very weird. The idea that you're not going to have Thanksgiving uh, turkey and, and ham at Christmas and, and, and color Easter eggs. I mean, that is just like you come from another planet. And I think sometimes they're just afraid of something new. And the other thing that I have found is the people that express the most of what looks like hostility are the ones who really wish they were doing this. And I'm just going to add, don't be holier than thou either. That's going to make people hostile. Some vegans get really high and mighty about it, and that's just annoying. Right. And just, you know, be really nice. And then always be on the food committee so that you bring the great cookies with the the vegan recipe attached. You'll get real popular at your Unity Church. Okay, we are about coming up to a break. And when we get back, we are going to be bringing on Chef AJ, author of Unprocessed. Yum, yum. Stay with us. When listeners like you contribute to the Unity Online Radio Network, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm and make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. When you pray, do you wonder if anyone is listening? What should and can you ask of God? Why aren't your prayers being answered? Prayer is a challenge for many of us. Now there's a new book that can help deepen your understanding. Based on his 35 years in ministry, author Jim Rosemurgy has developed a prayer and meditation practice called The Gathering. In just 40 days, The Gathering will become your foundation for a genuine, ever-deepening experience of God's imminent presence and unlimited power. You'll understand that God can't fulfill your needs, but your needs can be met. You'll see that prayer isn't something you do. It's something you experience. Explore Jim Rosemurgy's new book, The Gathering, a 40-day guide to the power of group and personal prayer. Available now at www.unitybooks.org. Unity Online Radio is turning five this year, and we're throwing the biggest bash of all. A cruise to the Caribbean, November 10th through 17th, 2012. We'll celebrate in style aboard Holland America Line's Eurodam, with sunshine, fine dining, and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the Eastern Caribbean. Plus, feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation. Your favorite host will be there, and we hope you join us too as we celebrate five years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio. For more information, go to www.unity.fm slash cruise.
listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria and Adair Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to like Victoria Moran, author on Facebook, and post your questions and comments. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. This is Victoria Moran with more of Main Street Vegan. Adair has gone off to do other things, so it'll just be the guest and me. And, oh, what a guest we have. I love this woman. She's fun. She's funny. And she's smart. And she can cook. Her name is Chef AJ. You can find out more about her online at eatunprocessed.com. She's followed a plant-based diet for over 33 years. She works as a chef and culinary instructor in Los Angeles. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. Thank you, Victoria. Right back at you. You're one of my favorite people. Well, you know, we were just talking during the break that you and Adair and I are all Aries. So not that we don't love everybody else of the Zodiac, but there is a certain camaraderie when you're a fire sign and, you know, kind of have the march thing going on. So we were just talking about vegetarian dogs uh, before the break and your beautiful um, dedication in your fabulous cookbook, Unprocessed, says, for my pack, Charles, Ginger, Sparky, and Scooby, you are the fur beneath my feet. Aww. <laughs> it's kind of like the wind beneath my wings, but since they're dogs, you know. <laughs> That's so great. So are your dogs vegetarian? Some, they're, they're as vegan as I can make them. One of them is a little bit picky, and I have to sometimes, I'm embarrassed to say, give him a little bit of meat to prod him along. But I definitely use the V-Dog dog food, which is fantastic, the vegan dog food. That's terrific. And we were talking because the dogs were chewing on their... Um, Sam's yams. Uh, it's kind of a rawhide-like treat made from sweet potatoes. And I asked if your dogs had the sweet potato chewies, and you said, "Oh yes." So it's almost like and we vegans discover the same thing. Right. And and dogs just love sweet potatoes. I mean, they're just they're good food for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Now speaking yeah. of potatoes. The cover of your book, and this is an amazing cookbook. You know, I know people say, oh, I'm not going to buy any more cookbooks because I only use one (laughs) recipe out of it. Get this cookbook. You will use 90% of the recipes. Seriously, they're easy. They're clear. They make sense. You don't need a PhD to understand what the ingredients are. You don't have to take half an hour just to read the recipe. This is real-world food. It's called Unprocessed, How to Achieve Vibrant Health and Your Ideal Weight by Chef AJ. Now, I love the cover of your book. Now, my book, Main Street Vegan, has an artichoke on it. I'm very fond of that (laughs) artichoke. Your book has a beautiful Idaho spud. Right. On the cover. So basic. You know, people sometimes say, it's expensive to eat as a vegan. No, it's not. Only if you eat the designer foods. Yeah. Not if you eat whole foods. You know, things like beans and peas and lentils and legumes and whole grains, when you shop in bulk, they're practically free. They're so inexpensive. It's true, especially beans because you soak them and then they weigh more than you started with. Right, exactly. (laughs) But I I do want to ask a devil's advocate question because I get this sometimes. And that is... Uh Oh, potatoes, they're high on the glycemic index, and they turn to sugar in your body. What do you think well, about that? 
Well, if somebody's a type 1 diabetic or a type 2 diabetic, maybe the potato isn't the optimum food for them right away until they get their disease under control, which they can do by eating a whole food plant-based diet. They can actually, at least in the case of type 2 diabetes, completely reverse it. But the thing is, is you have to understand we don't eat, most people don't just eat one food. You know what I'm saying? So like the glycemic index isn't as important as the glycemic load because people say, oh, let's have a lot of agave because it's low in the glycemic index. But you don't just eat agave by itself. You eat things in conjunction with with your meal. So when I eat a potato, I'm not just eating a potato. I'm eating it with maybe some hummus on it or some beans and some greens. I'm eating it as part of a whole healthy meal. So the impact of that food being high glycemic is affected by what else you're eating in that meal. And the reason I love this potato you have on the book because it's big-sized. And there Mm -hmm. was a time when Adair and I were living on not very much money. I was a single mom, and we were living at the the Ozarks. And we would go once a week to this Golden Corral place. It had a big salad bar. But the salad bar was a little bit expensive, and when it was too much that week, we would just get the baked potato (laughs) and (laughs) some, like, lettuce and tomato on the side. But they would let you go to the salad bar and put some stuff on your giant baked potato And I can remember just feeling so good and feeling so healthy at that time of my life, even though we didn't have much in in the prosperity department, because you can pack a potato with so many good things. What would you put in a big potato like this? You know, that's funny you say that because there's so many options. But my my family's favorite meal, and we learned this actually when I was teaching at True North, is, is, and again, if if you're averse to the white potato, you can do it. The same thing with the sweet potato. But I like doing the baked potato. I like stuffing it with a 50-50 mixture of corn and black beans, some mm. salsa, and then a dollop of guacamole. And, I mean, that's like 400 calories of nutrient-dense, high-fiber food. You will be so satiated, and you'll still lose weight eating this way. Oh, if that sounds yummy. And when you mention tr- True North, that's True North Health in Santa Rosa, California. It's a wonderful health institute. You can go there. You can get well. You can do fasting there. They have a whole group of doctors who are just wonderful. And actually, yes, I th- we're going to have a couple of their doctors on, and I believe November. So, oh, AJ, They're tell us perfect. your story. You weren't always as healthy and vibrant as you are right now. Oh God, that, that's why I'm so obnoxious now. It's, you know, it's really funny because, you know, I actually, you had mentioned in the intro, vegan 33 years. Actually, on September 3rd, it was 30. I'm going into my 36th year now. And it's only important because the first 26 years, I was so unhealthy. And while I think it's wonderful to become a vegan for ethical reasons, and and it's a great reason, I'm so glad people do it, I just want people to know that that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be healthy because I did everything wrong. I became vegan at 17. I was a freshman at the University of Pennsylvania. I wanted to be a veterinarian and instead became a vegetarian because the first day on the job, they had me cut the head off a salamander, which I'm not proud of, but I was 17 and I just didn't feel I could stand up to the professor. There was no people for the ethical treatment of animals back then. I refused to dissect and vivisect and do all that stuff. I basically was relegated to work in the lab equipment room the rest of the the semester washing equipment because I just couldn't do it. So this was 1977, Philadelphia. I didn't know. Nobody knew about, there was no PCRM to tell us what to eat. There was, I don't even know if the word vegan was coined yet. So all I ate was junk. I ate crackers. I ate, you know, bread and soda. Just because something's vegan doesn't mean it's healthy because soda is vegan and french fries are vegan and all kinds of organic cotton candy vegan. So basically, I just ate crap. If it wasn't an animal, I ate it. Well, after 26 years of basically eating from four food groups, which I, which for me were oil, sugar, flour, and caffeine, I came down with the beginnings of colon cancer. 
And it wasn't until I went to the Optimum Health Institute on July 6, 2003, that was the first time that a doctor said, hey, what you eat can have a profound influence on your health and what diseases you get and what diseases you don't get. And I'm like, really? I remember going to the doctor and saying, well, does it really matter that I eat all the sugar? Oh, no. You sure sugar's not addictive? Oh, no. Well, you know, your doctor only gets about an hour to four hours of nutritional education and four hours of medical school. And when I learned this and, and then actually reversed my disease by going on a whole food plant-based diet free of sugar oil and salt and and completely reversing this within six months, I was like, holy moly, i got to tell people this. This is exciting. And so that's what happened to me. And now I'm, you know, I'm still an ethical vegan. You don't ever lose that. I mean, it's not like I want animals to suffer, but you have to understand that the animals don't care why we're not eating them. So if people want to become vegans just for health reasons because they fuck forks overnight, great. Less animals eat. And if people want to become vegan because of the environment, great. I don't care why you're vegan. I just care that you're vegan. I think it's it's really important <clears throat> that people in the transition don't get so caught up on, oh my gosh, I can't go to Pizza Hut and, and I'm not going to be having Big Macs, therefore I'm going to have all kinds of vegan marshmallows and things like that. I mean, it's it's great that there are treat foods out there to help people with the transition because, you know, this is not like joining some kind of monastery. But on the other hand, you want to be really healthy and vibrant. And that helps the animals more because when you look great and you don't get sick, people want what you've got. I agree with you. You know, people accuse me of being a fat basher, and I'm like, I can't be. A, well, I'm not fat now, but I was. And I said, how can I be a fat basher? I'm fat. What are you talking about? But it's true because it's unfortunate that people do judge us on our appearance first. And when we're when we're educators and advocates of animals and out in the public speaking, unfortunately, they do judge us. And if we look a certain way, that doesn't mean we have to be anorexic. But if we do weigh 400 pounds and are telling people it's great to go vegan, that they might that might not be an embracing message for somebody to want to go vegan because they do unfortunately make that connection in their brain and their judgment that judgment it's not fair it's not right but people do but also it's not even about how we look it's how we feel because when you eat a healthy whole food plant based diet you do feel better and i agree with you victoria these transition foods are very important you know the fake meats and the fake cheeses but i got to tell you i know people that have been vegan for over 20 years and they still haven't transitioned they still don't eat fruits and vegetables they eat processed vegan food. And in, in my book, what the point I'm trying to make is I don't want people to eat animal products. However, somebody that eats like they do in rural China that maybe eats a piece of fish once in a while but that's eating a whole food plant-based diet is probably going to be healthier than somebody that's eating 100% junk food vegan diet. So my point is, is that processed food is really not healthy, whether you call it Kraft macaroni and cheese or, or Amy's organic gluten-free macaroni and cheese. We have to go back to eating food that's found, as Hans Deal says, food as grown, food that comes from a plant instead of being manufactured in a manufacturing plant. And the thing is, is one of my things that I'm passionate about is food addiction. And processed food, sugar, fat, and salt, is just as addictive when it's vegan or if it's not vegan. And people have to be aware of this research. And, you know, now that they know better, they, they don't need to do better, but I, I would hope they would want to do better. Yeah, you know, I, I have stopped having the day of cheese. And Daya cheese is a vegan cheese. It's based on uh, coconut and taro, I believe. It's really good. It's yummy in a salad. It melts. You can make pizza out of it, and I will still buy it to make pizza for my husband. But I've just decided not to have any in my salads because it sings to me. And I don't need any food in the fridge doing Aria's. 
Exactly. (laughs) And yet it doesn't mean eating boring, awful food. I'm just going to share some of the fabulous recipes uh, from your book or names of some of the fabulous recipes. A better bruschetta. I can't believe it's not tuna pate. Sweet potato nachos. Hummus dressing. Garden gazpacho. uh, Five-minute cranberry relish. Pineapple unfried rice. Almond dream balls. Chocolate chip cherry bites. And luscious lemon chocolate-coated truffle. So we're not talking about sitting in the garden having cabbage leaves. Hmm? Exactly. It's not about deprivation. What's your favorite recipe in your whole book? You know what? It has to be Chef AJ's disappearing lasagna, and I prefer the bean version over the tofu version, not only because it's cheaper, but because I'm allergic to soy. That's the recipe that more people write me about and saying that even regular people, even carnivores like it, and then probably Hail to the Kale second, because Hail to the Kale is actually sold in restaurants in L.A. Those are, I mean, if people are going to say, and they get them for free on my website if they're worried about buying the book, try a couple of the recipes, but the lasagna and the kale salad, and then maybe the pesto stuffed mushrooms, and, of course, all the desserts, because I was a pastry chef, and these are real desserts that were actually sold in the restaurant where I worked for four years. So they're, yeah. they're good recipes, and, and I appreciate you saying the simplicity, because that's kind of what I was going for, because in my next book is going to be even simpler, because you know, I learned that people generally give two reasons why they can't follow this a healthier diet. They say they don't have enough time, they don't have enough money. Well, if you don't buy the processed food, the money isn't an issue. And I make them as easy as possible. And believe it or not, all my recipes were tested on the blind. I worked at the Braille Institute, volunteered for years teaching the blind how to cook vegan. And I figured if a blind person can make these recipes, a sighted person can too. Absolutely. And and a sighted person who comes home after work with a lot of email to answer and phone messages Mm -hmm. and housework to do can do it too. The book is Unprocessed by Chef AJ and you can read more at her site, eatunprocessed.com. Now you were kind enough to contribute one of your recipes that does not appear in Unprocessed to Main Street Vegan and that is your house dressing, which is based on tahini, nutritional yeast. Dijon mm-hmm. mustard. I make this all the time. It is so good. And I have to tell you Thank a you. victory, Chef AJ, that just happened a couple of days ago. My husband is just adorable and he is wonderful. And he stopped eating meat two weeks after I Yay. met him. He Aww. stopped drinking liquid milk three years later. He went to a farm sanctuary thing and learned about veal and dairy cows and all that. Still held on to the cheese pizzas a little bit till day of cheese came out. But some of his other food tastes are just, you know, like he grew up. He was a kid back in Kansas, and so he likes very simple food, and he likes French dressing out of the bottle. And I'm just like, Mm. okay, so I make my salad, and I toss it with my homemade dressing, and I give him some with French dressing. And the other night, I said, just taste this. Just see Uh what you think of this. And he said, oh, that's good. I said, so you'll have that instead of French dressing? And he said, anytime. So kudos to you. That is so great. It really is. You know, when somebody has been used to something for quite a long time and one taste of something that you've created turns them to something more, more natural and unprocessed, it's very, very cool. Now, a quick question. I know that you talk sure. about being oil-free. Now, not all vegans are oil-free, but you are. And I'm looking no. at the time, and I'm seeing we'll have to answer this when we come back after the sure. break. The question will be, 
things like tahini have oil in them. And exactly. so what's your opinion about well, them? Well, so that'll be the question so, when we come oh, back great. after the break. And if you All would right. like to ask a question of Chef AJ and get in on this delicious culinary conversation, the number to call is 888 558 6489. We will be back right after these messages with more Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? And be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Reverend Paulette's mantra is, it's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time. With an energy that will captivate you, touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Reverend Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair. 
Welcome back. I'm Victoria Moran, and you are listening to Main Street Vegan. Thanks so much for being with us. If you'd like to know more about Main Street Vegan and the other work that we do, you can check out MainStreetVegan.net. There's information there about my coaching services, about the book Main Street Vegan, and also about Main Street Vegan Academy if you're interested in training as a vegan lifestyle coach. Our guest this afternoon is Chef AJ. Her website is Eat Unprocessed. Her fabulous book is Unprocessed. There's another book in the works that we'll talk about in a bit. But as we went to the break, there was a question hanging, and that is on an oil-free diet, which you espouse, is it still okay to have the tahini in your fabulous house dressing? I think it is. You know, if you were a patient of Dr. Esselstyn's and already had heart disease, the answer would probably be no. But my feeling is we are meant and designed to eat our food whole, not processed. So I don't have a problem with people eating whole foods like nuts and seeds and avocado or a little coconut. Well, so tahini is basically just sesame seeds that have been ground into a paste. So... Yes, you process it, but to me it's still a whole food, so I think that's absolutely fine. Keeping in mind, if you're somebody that is trying to lose weight and is overweight, you might not want to eat as much fat as somebody that, you know, that, in other words, John McDougall has been saying for 40 years the fat you eat is the fat you wear. So if you're eating too much fat, even healthy fat like nuts, seeds, avocados, that may stall your weight loss, but it's still healthier than eating the processed fats like the olive oil, the coconut oil, things that have been shown that really promote obesity, heart disease, and diabetes. And the person that really explains this the best, I believe, is Dr. Esselstyn in his book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. He's going to be coming to L.A. in November where I live, and I produce an event that oh, one, one year for sure we're going to have you, but love to have you anyway as a guest called Healthy Taste of L.A. And Dr. Esselstyn is going to be the keynote speaker on November 4th, and he's going to discuss this perfectly. But you can also get the videos free online that really explain how oil, eating processed oils, damages the endothelial cells of your arteries. And in order to not have heart disease, we need this endothelial lining to be really, really good. And eating the oils, it, it makes it compromised. So that's the thing about it. But the thing is, fat is addictive. And the more fat you eat, just like the more sugar and salt, the more fat, sugar, and salt you crave. So that's why it's so hard for people to, to give up eating their fat because, you know, it's addictive to our brain chemistry. Well, that was one of the other things we were going to talk about, this whole issue of, of food addiction. And I had said earlier yeah. in the show that I identify as a food addict in recovery. What's your take on food addiction? Oh, me too. I think it's completely real. And the problem is, Victoria, unlike everything else, like alcohol or cigarettes or cocaine, if you, if you can overcome these addictions, you can live the rest of your life without them, but you can't live the rest of your life without food. So that's why it's one of the hardest addictions to conquer and probably one of the most prevalent because it's, it's, it's pervasive, it's socially acceptable, it's, it's actually compared to like cocaine or heroin, it's quite affordable, you can do it in secret, you can be a food addict and be completely normal weight, nobody may even know, so it's, it's just one of those things that's just so acceptable, but it really comes down to the food because our ancestors didn't suffer from food addictions because they ate the diet that was consistent with their species' natural history, whole food found in nature. The problem comes when we process food, and if you read Dr. David Kessler, the former head of the FDA's book, The End of Overeating, he explains that when we started processing our food, you know, stripping the fiber and the nutrients, that's that's the problem with oils. You take a whole natural food like olives that are 400 calories a pound, you get rid of the fiber, water, nutrients, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants, micronutrients you get with a a 4,000 calorie per pound liquid, or you do the same thing taking the sugar out of the beets, you know, or taking... You know, the flour, you know, you take brown rice and make it into brown rice flour. The problem is, is you take foods and you make them calorie-rich and nutrient-poor, and these are the 
that's what people are addicted to. It's not so much broccoli or Brussels sprouts, you know, or kale. That's not the problem. Whole foods. It's always foods that are high in fat and sugar or high in salt and sugar or high in sugar. You know, one of the combinations of sugar, fat, and salt, if not all three. And if you look at mm-hmm. processed food, it's the perfect combination of sugar, fat, and salt. You know, they put sugar in everything from baby formula to, to a senior insured, the geriatric formula. And that's what the processed food industry knows that you'll become addicted to it and you'll become customers for life. And when the processed food industry began, it really became an empire after World War II when the country became more affluent and women were going back to work and they wanted convenience, Betty Crocker, Swanson's TV dinner. Well, that's all great, but what they didn't tell you is when the processed food industry was born, they got the best doctors and brain scientists behind closed doors to figure out the exact combination of sugar, fat, and salt to addict the average person's brain chemistry to their product. So when you see a commercial on television that says Lay's potato chips, I bet you can't eat just one, you can't because most people will become addicted to sugar, fat, and salt. And if you think you're immune from that, then I'll just say, okay, stop eating it because, see, most people can't. How many people have you heard, Victoria, that say, well, you know, my life would not be worth living without blank? Well, to me, that's a food addiction because, I, I mean, I've met people from Ethiopia that have never eaten processed food or sugar or oil, and it's like, they don't say, well, I would die if I couldn't have blank, you know, whatever the blank is, cheese or a cookie or whatever. That's, that's an addiction, to, you know, don't you think? I do, I do, and I've yeah. lived it and experienced it. Now, we've yeah. got callers, AJ. We have Tess and Marcy mm-hmm. on the line from Columbia, Maryland. Hey, ladies. Wow. Hi. Hi, um, how are you Marcy, doing? Um, you we were wondering if you're doing a kid's cookbook soon. Oh, we? well, you know, gosh, that's, that's a that good question. A we should get Adair on here and ask her about. that. Adair? Yes? Are we doing a kid's cookbook soon? Or maybe you're asking Chef AJ that. Uh, we haven't talked Chef about AJ. a kid's cookbook. It'd be fun, wouldn't it? I can think of good kid recipes. How about you, AJ? Do you have that on the yeah. pipeline? Well, you know, yeah, you know, people always say to me, will you teach a kid's cooking class? And I say, no, because it's the parents that are buying them the crap. You know, i got to get to the parents first. got to get to the root of the problem. But it is a great idea. But, you know, even the, even the cookbooks that are already out there, you, you're still, you're, there's, some of the recipes are so easy. You incorporate the kids making them. That's really what research shows. Kids will eat what they make. They'll be proud of it. So we don't necessarily need the kid's cookbook. We need you to get the kid in the kitchen making the recipes that exist, getting the kid involved, you know. I mean, like one of the recipes in my book, the chocolate fondue, kids love to make that because what you do is you give them the little wooden skewer that you can get at the 99 cent store and you have them weave on pieces of fruit, you know, a strawberry, a pineapple. Kids love, it's like arts and crafts. So, you know, do, just do what's there with your kids, but it's a great idea to make a kid's cookbook, sure. So, so Tess and Marcy, are you kids, or is one of you a kid? We're both kids. We're Sharon McRae's daughters. Oh, how oh cool. Oh, my God, I well, know welcome them. To they the are like, they're the two. Oh, my God. This is, you have to have Sharon McRae on your show. She, people always say, well, I can't get my kids to eat healthy. She's managed to get four kids under the age of 13 to eat perfect, become perfect nutritarians. Mm-hmm. And, it's really and these are two of them. And they're twins. And I, I saw them at Summerfest, and these kids eat perfectly. These kids eat better than me because one night I actually ate the popcorn with the oil and the salt because old, old addictions die hard. <laughs> so, so um, Tess and, and Marcy, what are your, some of your favorite recipes? Um, well, we uh, really like Chef AJ's lasagna and the brownies, the brownies. Um, house dressing, for sure. That's one of my favorites. I could eat yeah, the whole the house dressing. <laughs> 
fabulous. Well, when I think about a kid's cookbook, I remember as a kid having this little Betty Crocker cookbook, and it had these really awful, unhealthy recipes. The one I made the most was a tuna casserole with a potato chip crust. <laughs> and to just oh, think <laughs> how much better my life would have turned out if I had not been used to that amount of salt and grease. I just remember as a kid, I really liked stuff that was fun to eat, like anything you could eat with your hands. Like I loved artichokes because they're so fun to pull Mm -hmm. apart. And uh, and I loved Mm -hmm. Ethiopian food because you got to eat it with your hands. Stuff like that was really fun as a kid. And it's fun as an adult. You know, Victoria, I had that same Betty Crocker cookbook. I remember it and I loved it. We used to make something called tinglings where you basically melted chocolate chips, stirred in a box of Wheaties and froze them. And there were these mounds of just crunchy clusters that were just oh, so good. <laughs> you know, as we look at, at the kind of political environment and things that are going on out there in the world, and regardless of, of what your um, ideology is, I think most people are kind of looking at the whole thing and saying, oh, my goodness, <laughs> things are not great. And I wonder sometimes, AJ, if it was not that people of our generation grew up eating tingles and tuna casserole with potato chip crusts, maybe that's why everything is such a mess because our brains just not just develop properly. You know, I don't, it's possible we didn't get the nutrients we needed from not eating enough fruits and vegetables, you know, growing up because I don't remember eating a heck of a lot of them, you know, until I was 43 and got, you know, basically diagnosed with free colon cancer. I don't remember, people would say you're the only vegetarian I know that doesn't eat fruits and vegetables. You think Skittles are a fruit, and I did. I mean, you know, they were colored and they were rainbow, Skittles, Starbush, you know, they all, they tasted like fruit. That's how the processed food industry draws us in, is they create food that would be pretty in nature, bright colors that really draw us in, you know, and like every color in the rainbow, and they make it really sweet. But the problem with it is that they make it so sweet that we can never find anything in nature that tastes that way, and that's why we, we don't. We learn to shun the taste of the natural food because we get addicted to these processed foods. But after a period of abstinence, which could be anywhere for a few weeks to a few months, we really start appreciating that food is amazing. They have this melon. I don't know if you ever heard of it called the sugar kiss melon. It's kind of a cantaloupe, and the store guarantees it's going to be sweet. When I eat it, I think this is like this is sweeter than candy. I mean, food is so good. But not if you're not if you're down in you know Coke, Coca Cola every day. They say that Americans are eating 150 pounds of sugar per person a year now. Yeah, I mean, I don't need any. My husband doesn't need any. So somebody out there is probably eating 300 pounds. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's so important to get used to the good stuff and, and, and the pretty stuff. I had a, a grocery store clerk say to me once, I've had this job 15 years and I've never seen such pretty groceries. So, AJ, in celebration mm-hmm. of pretty groceries and a pretty book cover, Unprocessed, and a pretty website, eatunprocessed.com, and being a pretty person, thank you so much for being thank our you. guest on Main Street <laughs> Vegan. Thank you, Adair. You're welcome. And thanks to our callers, Tess and Marcy. Everybody, stay healthy. Eat your vegetables. Love the animals. Love each other. And we'll be back next week, same time, same place on your dial, (laughs) unity.fm. This is Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. God bless.
Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria and Adair Moran entertain, educate, and inspire you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria and Adair or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Did you know that most of us operate on autopilot and don't even realize it? In fact, psychologists suggest automatic behavior has become the rule of thumb these days. Jesse Harriet wants to talk with you about how to make the switch from barely thriving and functioning to living a fully functioning, conscious, and purposeful life. The all is mind, and so are you. Call in with your questions and comments for Jesse Live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central Time on Living on Purpose, where we blend psychology and ancient wisdom. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. As Reverend Felicia Blanco Cerce points out in her book, Do Greater Things, there is the potential for joy, wholeness, and expansiveness designed into every moment. And the miracle is when we recognize the constant presence of these qualities all around us. Once we see what is possible, our lives then begin to change. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Unity Online Radio is turning five this year, and we're throwing the biggest bash of all. A cruise to the Caribbean, November 10th through 17th, 2012. We'll celebrate in style aboard Holland America Line's Eurodam with sunshine, fine dining, and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the Eastern Caribbean. Plus, feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation. Your favorite host will be there, and we hope you join us too as we celebrate five years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio. For more information, go to www.unity.fm. cruise experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity Online Radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit Unity Online Radio and click on Mobile Listening. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.